So normally when I start a sermon, I want to start it with something engaging, maybe a profound statement or, or a good joke, um, maybe a story that everybody who's listening can really engage with. Today I'm not going to do that. Now it doesn't mean I don't want you to listen. I really, really, really want us to listen. But it feels to me like what I want to say is actually so important that I don't really want to start with some technique. I want us to listen because I really believe that God has something important for him for, to say to us, his people, in this crazy world at the moment. The craziness of, of what we're seeing happening around the world with COVID, the craziness of what we're seeing happening in the United States uh, with, with, with the unrest and the clashes and, and the seeming just what, what's happened to our world and, and what is God saying. So today's a really important Sunday because in two Sundays' time, we are in two days' time on Tuesday, we're going to celebrate June the 16th. In South Africa, we call that Youth Day because it's the day that we remember on June the 16th, 1976, a group of young people stood and said, enough. No more. No more being forced to learn in a language we don't understand. No more being forced to live in a place we don't necessarily want to live in. No more being denied the right to vote. No more injustice. No more oppression. No more. Now, before you tempted to tune me out with the excuse that Preachers shouldn't preach about politics. I really want you to tune right back in because I'm not going to be preaching about politics. I'm going to be preaching about sin and oppression and hatred and about love and about sacrifice and about freedom and about justice and about salvation and about how God can and does use young people to change the world we live in, to bring about peace and justice and righteousness and the kingdom of God, the very things that Jesus came into the world to give to us. The story I want to tell you starts in the spring of 474 B.C. Yep, you heard me right. It's not just the other day. It's not even in our country. It began in the spring of 474, of 474 B.C. Because you see, it turns out that these things like oppression and injustice and hatred and the need for changing unjust laws and the offer of hope and peace isn't a new thing. Throughout the history, governments and individuals and tribes and groups and races of all kinds have used power and influence and oppression to create a world that serves them, that serves them as individuals or them as a group. And often it is at ex the expense of other people, other people who God loves 
and who he died for and who he created. And we are seeing that happen right now with a corona epidemic that's creating massive divides between rich and poor and people that get medicine and people that can't and people that can get food and people that can't. And we're seeing it right now in the United States where people are protesting what they believe to be the unjust treatment of a whole group of people. And that story from way back in 474 BC tells us so much about what God expects from us as his children in a world like this. So it turns out, back then in that spring, a corrupt politician in the most powerful empire in the world offered the king of the empire a huge bribe. And he gave him the bribe because he wanted him to pass a law that would allow that official to commit genocide. And I don't use that word lightly. Genocide is a horrific thing, but but that's what he wanted. He wanted the king to pass a law that he could commit genocide. He wanted the, the king to pass a law that would give him permission to slaughter a whole group of people. They must have been terrible people. I guess they, they must have been people that, 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 that wanted to overthrow the government. They must have been people that, that must have been creating unrest. Surely, to do that, they must have been terrible people. Well, it turns out that they weren't really like that at all. They were a small minority group that had been brought into this empire because their land had been conquered and they were now living in exile. They were refugees. They were pretty powerless, ordinary people just trying to live their lives. And so if that's so, why did this man want to exterminate them? Why did he want a law passed, which he got passed, to commit genocide? I want to tell you. It because, it's because one man, one person who belonged to that group of people, who was a minor official in this empire, had refused to obey a single law. Just one law. To be honest, it was a minor, unimportant law. And it was only passed to serve that one man's ego. But it was a law. And he refused to obey so the law that said all the king's officials had to bow down to this one chief official whenever they saw him. It was ridiculous and it was petty, but it was a law, and everybody obeyed it, except for this one official called Mordecai. And the reason he disobeyed was because he was a Jew. He was a follower of God, and he knew that he answered to God's laws first, and so he refused. And so this corrupt official was so angry, he didn't just want Mordecai punished. Listen to what it says. When Haman saw for himself that Mordecai didn't bow down and kneel before him, he was outraged. Meanwhile, having learned that Mordecai was a Jew, Haman hated to waste his fury on just one Jew. He looked for a way to eliminate not just Mordecai, but all Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So if you're a church person by now, 
you will realize that this is the story found in the book of Esther in the Old Testament. It's a sort story of how God rescued a group of his people, the Jews, from oppression and genocide. And it's also a story of how God used one incredibly brave young woman to save her own people and to change their world. This young woman's name was Hadassah, also known as Esther. Now, I can't even come close to telling you the whole story, but please, please, please go and read it. It's just seven or eight chapters. Please, this week, read the story over and over again. I promise you it will be worth it. Because there are such huge lessons that God wants to teach us in how he works in a world that seems to have gone mad. Like the kind of world we live in today. Disease, death, inequality, prejudice, and injustice. And I want you to read it because it's a book about how God uses young people. It's also a really unusual book because it's the only book in the whole Bible that doesn't contain God's name anywhere in it. Not once is the name of God mentioned. But I want you to read it because you'll discover that even though his name is not mentioned, he is absolutely everywhere in the book, just like he's everywhere in our world today. I also want you to remember when you read it that lots of it seems very romantic. There's princesses and there's kings and queens and there's a lot of pomp and, and it seems romantic, but it is not It is full of evil and exploitation and murder and corruption and violence. I want to give you a really quick summary of the book. So it's the book, it's a group of Jewish exiles. They're living in this massive empire of King Xerxes. The king gets fed up with his queen, whose name is Vashti, and he gets rid of her. And he goes on a year-long search to find a new queen. She's chosen from a large group of young women, the Bible says virgins, And they are chosen to be in the king's harem. So he eventually chooses a young woman called Esther. She's a young Jewish woman who's deeply cared for by her uncle Mordecai, who's a very godly man and a minor official in this kingdom. So Mordecai offends this really important man, Haman, the guy that we read about earlier, and Haman goes crazy. And he creates a law where he plots a genocide against the Jews. But because Esther is now queen, she's in a position to influence the king, but at huge personal risk. In fact, physical risk to her own life. She has to break a law in order to save her people, and it was a law that carried the death penalty. And with the love, guidance, and support of her uncle Mordecai, she takes the risk, and she's not killed. But instead, she exposes the evil Haman for who he really is. Haman is sentenced to death by the king, and the Jews are empowered to defend themselves and prevent the genocide. Mordecai becomes a powerful man in the kingdom, and Jews enjoy a great time of prosperity. It seems almost like a romantic fairy story, but it's not. It's a story of God working, and especially God working through young people, even in a world that seems utterly mad and evil. Kind of like the world today. And so I want 
I want us as a church, please read the story. Read the story. And as you read it, I want you, as we celebrate, hey, June the 16th is a public holiday. You will have time to read the story. Celebrate Youth Day by reading the story a few times. And you will discover that God is at work. And I want to give you a few pointers as you begin to read that story this week. And I want to show you some things that the book of Esther teaches us about how God uses young and old and people who love him to change the world. And the first thing I want to tell you is this. That like in Esther's day, we live in a world ruled over by rich and powerful people who often care more about their own position and comfort than for those they rule over. We do. We have many, many good rulers in the world, but, but by and large, most political systems in this world benefit those who rule, often at the expense of others just like in the day of Esther. Listen to what it says in Esther chapter 1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over the 120 provinces stretching from India to Cush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. An ungodly but religious government. Folks, if you read the details, he gave these banquets where, where specifically he ordered people could drink as much as they wanted to. He, he gave orders that, that benefited the wealthy and, 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 and gave his nobles and his officials anything they wanted. But the poor people suffered. They suffered because of this kind of power and rule like we often see in our world today. We live in a world where powerful people act in evil and corrupt ways to please themselves. So during this massive party that we read about in chapter 1, um, the king invites his wife, the queen, well, one of his many, many wives, but his queen, Vashti, to, to join him because he wants to show off to all his friends and his officials how beautiful she is. She's busy having a banquet somewhere else with her own, with, with her woman. And she refuses. And right there, he, he cuts her off. He throws her out. She's no longer the queen. She loses all her privileges just because she refused to be shown off to a group of rich old men. It goes even further. The reason why the king says he's going to do it is so that every man in the whole country will, will know that women have to listen to them. And so if he does it, all the men will know that they can have power over people that are less important than them, like women in this empire. But it goes one step further, because now the king doesn't have a queen. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. 
Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem of the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hagar, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the woman. And let beauty treatments be given to them. And let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Folks, don't, don't be fooled by that line about beauty treatments. These were young women, it says they're virgins, who were brought to the king's palace forcibly and, and, and had to live there. And when the king, and I'm just going to say it, when the king wanted to sleep with one of them, he had her called in. And basically the one who pleased him the most would be the one who would become queen. Can you think of anything more evil and degrading just because he had the power to do it? Now the truth is I don't experience our world like that, but there are people in our world today that do experience it like that. Not always from politicians, but sometimes Sometimes just from people who have power. We live in a world where powerful people act in evil and corrupt ways to please themselves, just like in the book of Esther. We live in a world of racial, tribal, and group hatred. We do. That's the kind of world we live in. Listen to what it says in Esther chapter 3. We read it already, but I'm going to read it to you again. When Haman saw for himself that Mordecai didn't bow down and kneel before him, he was outraged. Meanwhile, having learned that Mordecai was a Jew, Haman hated to waste his fury on just one Jew. He looked for a way to eliminate not just Mordecai, but all Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. We live in a world where people want other people to be away from them to be different from them, to be less than them. It's not always about exterminating people, but it's so often about giving people less, giving them the leftovers, not allowing them to be part of your country or your nation or your group. We live in a world that is divided along arbitrary lines when we know that God made every human being in his own image. And the truth is, for people like me, I don't experience that much. But millions of people in our country and all over the world are experiencing it every single day. We live in a world where weaker people are often exploited. Read Esther again and just see how Jews are exploited, how women are exploited, how slaves are exploited. We live in that kind of world today. It may not be as obvious to most of us on the surface as it was in the story, but it is there and it is real and it breaks God's heart. But I want to tell you this, that it's not all bad news. Because when you go and read the story, you will see that it ends with God intervening. 
with God providing salvation and rescue and justice and hope. Because God has also given us a world to live in that can be changed by the power of his Holy Spirit and through his people. But I want to tell you this, that it will require sacrifice. As you read the story, you will discover the massive sacrifice that Esther had to make. The sacrifice of her dignity. The sacrifice of who she was as a person being used as an object. Yes, she did become a queen, but nevertheless she was an object. You will, you will see that a man called Mordecai ha- has to sacrifice his dignity and his life is threatened. Why? Because he's trying to obey God and do what is right. And then they don't just get out free. It requires a massive sacrifice on their behalf. But because they are willing to be used by God, they make the sacrifice. Please go and read the story. Also, I want to tell you that Esther teaches us, just like on, on June the 16th, that young people sometimes have to be incredibly brave. It wasn't only when, when Esther was, was just in the harem that she needed to be brave. It was also when she'd become the queen, when she was an extremely powerful woman. She had to be so brave that she would risk her own life to save her people and herself. Young people, I want to tell you that this world that we're in, that's in such a mess, is going to require you and I and all of us to be brave. The story of Esther teaches us that it will require older people to step up and support and love and influence younger people. Go and read the story. Read about how Mordecai sacrificed himself to look after this young lady who who he took in. He adopted her, but he guided her. He took incredible risks to his own safety to make sure she was okay in the harem. He, He guided her spiritually. He taught her about who God was. He taught her what it meant to be a good Jew and a follower of God. He made incredible sacrifices. But he loved her and he supported her and he showed her what it meant to follow God in an incredibly difficult world. The book of Esther teaches us that if we are to be used by God like this, is that it will require us to connect deeply with God. Go and read the story. Go and read how Esther and Mordecai fasted and prayed and begged God to be part of what was happening. You see, they, they, they weren't acting in their own strength. They were acting out of a deep connectedness to God, and they knew that over and over again they would have to turn to God and get strength from Him. The story also teaches us, and this is a really unpopular one with most Christians, often of our generation, to change this world it may even require us to break the law. And I'm not encouraging anybody just to break a law because they want to break a law. But sometimes, because of the courage of our convictions and our belief that we have to obey God rather than man, we may have to obey, disobey laws 
In Esther 3 verse 1, we read that, Haman, that, that Mordecai broke the law. He refused to bow down. It seems like just such a petty law. Why did he just do it? He couldn't because he had convictions about what God said was right and wrong, and he knew God had said you can't bow down to people, and he didn't. Later on, Esther is encouraged by Mordecai to go in to the king and plead for the life of the Jews. But to do that, she would have to break a law. Yes, it was a ridiculous law. It was a vain and awful law, but it was the law. And the law said that nobody could just walk into the presence of the king. They had to be invited. And if they did it, they would be killed. And Esther has to make the terrible decision to put her own life at risk. She breaks the law. And she goes in. And she's received by the king. She isn't killed. And she saves her people. In the world full of chaos... On a day that we remember something that happened in our country that changed everything. We need to look at the book of Esther. And we need to discover that in the middle of chaos, in the middle of oppression and heartbreak and brokenness and evil laws, that God is at work. He is always at work. And he's working through young people and old people. He's working through us. His followers, his people. And he's going to use us to change the world and to, to begin to make it like he meant it to be. Instead of oppression and hatred and injustice, it's to be a world full of peace and joy and love and hope and righteousness and the kingdom of God. As we celebrate. June the 16th. Let us remember that Jesus Christ came in the world, into the world to seek and save the lost and to set the captives free and to bring justice and righteousness. And who knows? God may even use us to do that in this world today. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to follow you no matter how hard it is as you change the world. Amen.